so we're all going to be here to witness God raising up new leaders. So I've been invited to come preach, and I'm really thankful for the opportunity to do that. If I sound weird, I need to just let me know this. This is a good setup for me, but just let me know if you want to just come to that. I invite you to open up your Bibles, and then we're going to leave them open and flip them a whole bunch of time. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So you can throw those open to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You can open that up, whatever. Open that up. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says to the apostles, He says, You will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, to the end of Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It's going to have that for a You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the end of the earth. In Jesus' parting words to his disciples, he gives them this single, very simple job title. Witnesses. That's it. I find that really interesting. Because all authority in heaven has just been given to Christ, right? That's what you can do. He's got control over everything. He can do any job, right? He could say, You'll be my executive directors. He could say, You'll be my sales associates. You'll be my managers, right? I will give you a nice corner office and a company car. Either way, the big guy picked up all the investors and then you'll be my a witness is someone who's called to the stage at a trial they probably don't want to be in. A witness is someone uh, standing on the side of the road in an accident. Somebody's uh, on the way to where they actually want it to be. That's what you call a witness. Well, you also want one to find your wedding and find your marriage license. So witnesses are important. A witness is a person who has experienced something, seen something significant. You do not witness television. Well, it's a baseball game, but you witness that 500 home run. Right? There's a difference between just seeing something. You see your tip every day. Or not, you see them every day. <laughs> but you witness their success. You can make a difference. And so when we witness something, it means something significant is happening. We were passed away. We were there for you. Not only that, when we witness something, whether it's a, a fender bender or a wedding or something, it, just, it generates a story. We witness something that generates a story worth telling. And that story helps someone else reach a decision, reach a conclusion. Just like in the courtroom when the court judges and whatever that might be, it generates a story worth telling that helps someone reach a decision. And that's who Jesus says, You are. And that's what the Bible says. He says, Look, something significant has happened. My death and resurrection, and you just witnessed it. And now the whole world is going to put me on trial like it did before. There's still a decision to be made about me. And I'm called angels now. Because your story, your artwork, your witness is going to help them decide about me. You will be my witnesses. That's what Jesus said. And so this is what we know is the mission of the church. It's why we're here. It's why we exist at all. We're here with this mission. Jesus has sent us to continue his work. Uh, in our neighborhoods and around the world and bringing people into the kingdom of God. Right? Uh, not as CEOs with a strategy, that's not the job that title we give us. Uh, not as politicians with strings attached. Not as bouncers with an attitude, because we can actually have that too. But as witnesses with a strategy, 
hardest part of this process, the hardest part is reading. This took one month out of this passage of what? Who's the you? And you will be my witnesses, right? Who's missing on the other side of that? We know it's a church's job to take a break down. It's a church's job to take a break down. To be witnesses, but who in the church is actually going to be my Who is actually, when Jesus says, You will be my witnesses, who's he actually talking to? Is he talking to the apostles? Only the apostles are not accepting him. Is he talking to Paul, the missionary who goes to all these places? Is he talking to the disciples and see the missionaries that he supported? Is he talking to the pastors who have shown him? Maybe he's just talking to some churchmen or something like that. No, he's not talking about See, we can often treat mission, we can often view mission. Like it's this extracurricular activity instead of co-curricular activity. And in school, everyone has to take science, English, math, history, uh, but robotics, and music, football, but that's extracurricular. It's really fun. Uh, and it's, it's great, but not necessary, unless you know, you're really bad at it, unless you're really passionate about it, especially still when it gets extracurricular. And we do the same thing with church life. We do the same thing with church life. Everyone has to worship. Everyone has to pray. Everyone has to read their Bible and do this discipleship sort of thing. That's all the core curriculum stuff. The outreach, the mission, the evangelism, the giving up to our community. That's extra curriculum. Right? If you're passionate, if you're gifted, if you're skilled, knock yourself out. But otherwise, it's not really necessary. It's not really what it means to be a church. It's just not So we often put the church's mission. Uh, it's, again, very simple, singular job description that Jesus gives us after all authority of heaven and earth and on earth has been given to him. And he gives us this one job. We also push it away at the higher extent. We push it away at the committees and overseas galaxies and parachurch organizations. Let God gave the church a mission. He sure did. You can't avoid scripture, but we'll get something right on it. But what if that's wrong? What if being a witness is not just an extracurricular activity for Christians, for someone else to do? What if being a witness is central to our purpose, to our existence as Christ followers? So I'd like to encourage you to flip over to 1 Peter 2, verse 9. So Jesus has given us this job description, this job title of witnesses. And then Peter goes even deeper into it. So 1 Peter 2, 9, he says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that, we often like stop and go, we're like, oh, that sounds nice, but there's more than that sentence, that, or so that, and there's purpose here, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life, so you can be a witness. And so the apostle Peter, apostle means saint one in Greek, He's saying that Jesus, what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 about being witnesses, did not just apply to him, the apostle, but to all across the world. God saved you for a purpose. And the purpose for which God chose you, the reason that he adopted you in his family and made you his own special possession is so that you could do something, so that you could be someone, so that you could witness to your Savior. Jesus didn't come out his way and die on the cross and rise again. So that you could enjoy like your special status, or so you could take that to the cloud someday. 
So this is what God brought to our life. All of this language that Peter's using is human priest, holy music, special possession, Peter's focus, something we want to always find, something that we know. He's calling this directly from the Old Testament. But God is telling the Israelites almost the exact same thing word for word. Now it's going to be a it's going to be a longer term this time. We'll be going all the way back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, second book of the Bible, Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6. Says, now, if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is nothing, you will be for me, and here it is, the king of priests and all the nations. These are the words that they speak to the Israelites. He said, So he said, I carried you on eagles' wings out of Egypt, and it's all grace. I brought you to myself, I saved you, I rescued you. So that you could be this kind of priest. So that you could be this holy nation. Now, what does it mean to be a king of priests? What does it mean to be a holy nation? It means entire people groups who display God's character and who help people find God, find their way to God through their words and actions and their witnesses. That's the job that the people were asked to do. They were elected, they were chosen to be our witnesses of God's saving power and his glory. And then to take that story, and God puts them on display in the middle of this sin-infested world, so they, they could share that story with their nation's enemy. Uh, Cain, the promised son, uh, was smack dab in the middle of the ancient world at that time. This everything ran through Palestine, right? It's a wild, often contentious sort of place where all these nations are jockeying for these trade routes, Egypt, Mesopotamia, all these places. It's, it's a hot spot. And God says, I'm going to put you there. Right? Not so that you can just sit back and relax. It's not some oasis. This is the thing that God's talking about here. So they can tell their story to the nations around them. And so they were, they were meant to become eyewitnesses of God's grace. They were meant to become expert witnesses of God's will. And they were meant to be character witnesses of God's nature. This is what God is. And he's actually been doing this from the start. We're going to go back to even further. Yeah, Genesis chapter 12. Two through three. God's been doing this for a long time, not just with the Israelites, not just with the church. He says this to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people that are you hear that? All people that are will be blessed through you, Abraham. So not just the Israelites, not just the church, but Abraham, going all the way back to the beginning, he is chosen, he is saved, he is blessed, he is promised, blessed, so that he could bless the nations. And so God has been on a mission. We will say this, right? God has been on a mission for a very, very long time, trying to draw all people to himself, all the nations. And what he does is he creates a special people to do that with. First Abraham, then the entire nation, then the church. And so let's look at this backwards. Okay, let's not get this backwards. It is not that God created a church and then gave it a mission to do. It's backwards. It is that God was always on a mission, so we created a church about it. Uh, Christopher J. Fred is a well-known uh, Old Testament scholar, missiologist. He put it this way. He said, It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the Bible, 
as they go as a church for his mission. So a mission for his church. Just here's what he says. Here's how it is. He says, mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. That's it. That's what that was. So God did not make up this job for us to do. So what am I going to do with these special people? I better give them something to do, or at least not for us. That's not what's happening here. Uh, God made us up. He made us up as a church so we can join our one So the church does not have a mission. God's mission as a church. Your mission is not something Christians do. It is why Christians exist at all. And God has chosen to be there. And it's kind of why we don't get stuck straight up into heaven among the believers. <laughs> right? Sometimes that's what our salvation theology can look like. Oh, and he's just going to take us out of here. No, we still work to be done. Right? It's a mission that we're working to do. Now, there's a little bit more. What did the Israelites do with the salvation that they received? This is where the story gets a little darker. Right? God elected them, God chose them, He saved them, He gave them this amazing new identity. Here you go, Israelites. But for what? What did they do for them? I want you to think about your job. I want you to think about, I want you to think about your job title and your work. Right? Everyone has a job title. Even if you're not working, you're uh, retired, well, you have the title of Think about your job title. Glamorously, uh, every job comes with a job title. Uh, even if it's not something you can class for everywhere. And every job title serves two purposes. And the first one is the obvious one. It describes your responsibilities within the company, within the organization. It describes your responsibilities. Um, so if you're a director of sales, I expect you to direct sales. I expect your title to describe accurately what you do, what your responsibilities are. That's the first one. There's another element to a job title. The second one is that it locates your importance within the company. So if you're a sandwich artist, you're probably not being paid to be accepted. So it says something also about your purpose, about your importance within this organization. And so if it's big enough and important enough, we slap it on our door and we put it on the desk and our, you know, our parking spot and our ID badge and our email signature, you know, we, we use these job titles to get things done. One of the things, when God calls Israel a king of priests and holy nation, right, here's your new job title, uh, that's a very clear job description. Right? We're meant to be witnesses. We take my story and share it with the nations. But it also has a lot to do with it, isn't it? Something that they are very important. It's what holy nation. We must be pretty important. And so they took, they heard these words, right? Chosen, special, royal. And they, they treated like they were given this nice corner office and said, hey, let's put our feet up. This is kind of nice. This locates our importance within the organization, within God's family. And so they cared. This is what happened to the Israelites. They cared more about the importance of Titus Gazan than the job they described. And so they saw the promised land and said, hey, let's get comfortable. Let's get a team and fit in with all the other nations around us. Let's not share our story of blessing and peace. Let's build up walls and let's make it look like we're smarter and stronger, better than everyone else because God is changing us. And so they forgot that they're important, like to be elected, chosen, saved, 
There's also the job description that we're going to try to fix. I'm sure that's the last thing. The wife got to know that through Jesus. God's made us his own special possession. By being everything that Israel couldn't be, so that we could become everything God made us to be. And now God is saying the same thing to the church. And now we're going to fight for the church to be the same. He just did what Israel could. He was intended for you to be God. And God made us to be. Now, what are we doing? What are we doing with our salvation and trauma and election that we've seen? God elected us and saved us and chose us for what? all the way back to the Old Testament. God electing people and God saving people has a lot more to do with our role and God's mission today in the world than it does in our other personal thought at a time. It's a lot more so about what we are doing today. We are not so excited to be into some country cloud or some country covenant problems. That's not why we're here. We are not just saved so that we can kick back and we have been saved so that we can take the stand and tell the story of God's salvation and what it's like in our life. And so when Jesus says, You will be my witnesses, and I'm like, Whose mission is it anyway? <laughs> really? It's like a every single one of us. Every single one of us. Princeton Church does not have a mission. God's mission is a pastor. God's mission is a pastor. That's why you need pastor on the way. I say this to make your job easier. <laughs> right? Because you did this in the call to worship, right? Uh, Ephesians 4 11. Christ gave himself. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the students, and families uh, to do what? To do all the outreach and do all the community engagement on our behalf? Oh, that's not what it says. <laughs> Verse 12 to equip. To equip his people for works and service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's why I'm going to say that I'm you. So I'm going you, to train you, to lead you, so that you can fulfill the mission to which you were called. That's the other way around. Which is pretty cool. In Ephesians chapter 6, one of the crucial pieces of armor that God said we all must wear is what? Uh, the shoes of the gospel. Right? And so, Pastor Emma is very much with you. See this out. See this out today. Going on with this, uh, Romans chapter 10. Uh, sorry, I should flip it back and forth so much. But Romans chapter 10, 12 to 15. says this. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So once again, now we have called the Christ. Paul is showing us God's good mission in the world, right? Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Of all nations, every community, whether it's Princeton State or Istanbul, Turkey, wherever it is, that's where we're going. That's why we're here. And then Paul says, so we get this big mission. But then he says, well, how are we going to get there? How does that mission get accomplished? How does that, how's that going to happen? And then Paul goes on. He says, how then can they call on the one, uh, the one they have? So how can they call on the one that have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they, anyone preach unless they are sent? And then he says, as he said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
so people cannot be saved, right? This is following the same as our community. God's big mission to the world cannot be accomplished unless people call on the Lord. They can't call if they don't believe. They can't believe if they haven't heard. They can't hear if they don't preach it. And without preaching, you can't preach it. No one can accept it. I want you to see that Paul, he could have used uh, this thing a little bit more appropriately. So structured it in its logical sort of flow, saying, hey, we've got sex, so we can do this and this and this and this, and people will be saved. He invokes the entire sentence structure so that he can end with the word sex. That's his emphasis, right? Christ is sending us to go out there. And I think we get thrown off of the word preach. I know that depends on the topic of the pastor. He's just talking about a Sunday morning sermon. But preach is something that's to proclaim, right? To witness, to tell our story. About what God is doing in our And so all of our sheets have to be dusty. All of our sheets have to be worn out. All of them have to be dirty. But Paul says it's beautiful. And that's why I'm here. And so you, guys, you have called on the Trinity Lord. You have saved people. I think you've been chosen by a special people. You've witnessed the gospel of your life. But we have to remember to circle back to being sent. That's the emphasis Paul wants us to see. That's what St. Peter wants us to see. Circle back to being sent. So that your story is going to take someone else's story too. When a church takes its sentiments seriously, amazing things can happen. I'm really excited. Paul's going to happen this Wednesday. I don't know what he's going to do that either. But the words that make me really excited about this. So a church that takes its sentiments seriously, it is presented. Heavenly Father, thank you for electing, for choosing, for saving, for blessing us beyond anything that we could ask or imagine by your mercy and your grace. Lord, you have rescued us from sin, death, and evil. You've made us your own. Special possession. But Lord, help us see that this new idea comes with a new purpose, a new job description as a kingdom priest and a holy nation, as witnesses who have experienced some life-changing story to tell that can change hearts, minds, lives, and communities. Lord, you have been in this mission all along, and we exist to join you in that mission, to bless the nation, to draw all people to yourself. And so, Lord, help us make mission not just something this church has to do, but why would this church exist at all? Holy Spirit, please bless us and we're going to ask you if you equip this church with 